and um, I just want to take a little bit of time today to dig deeply into a short section of scripture, only seven verses, and for us this year as we start off to think a little bit about our relationship to God. Like, what does, what does God say? What does Jesus say about a relationship with us as people? And I feel like this passage today really brings out what the relationship looks like. And I think it was a real offensive thing in the day that Jesus said it. I mean, Jesus did some really challenging, difficult ways of saying things. And I, I think for us today, we're going to find it equally as challenging and difficult. But it shows to us a little bit about the relationship. And when Jesus does things that are an affront and, and people find it offensive, it's the truth. He's pointing us to the truth, and so I want us to dig deeply into it today. Our passage today comes from the book of Luke, chapter 15. This is God's word. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose that someone has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls all of his friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us and thank you for your care and mercy in our lives. Lord, thank you uh, for the way you called us into your family that um, we're lost and you found us. You brought us to yourself. Today, Father, we're grateful and we look at these verses, we look at this parable in just a moment. And really, Father, I pray that it's not words that I say or my ideas, but Father, your spirit is what opens eyes and hearts. And we ask these things in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 15 is a very interesting chapter. It's very thematic through the chapter. And inside of it are three stories. And all of the stories have a similarity. And a similarity I think that we will be able to very easily connect with. In each one of Jesus' stories, something gets lost. In our passage today, there's a lost sheep. Passage next week, there are lost coins. And in the following week, there's a lost son. There's a lot of losing going on in chapter 15 of Luke. Now, I want you to think for just a second about when you lose something, when, when something is missing, all right? And, and all of us have a similar experience. You, we lose things, some of us a lot more than others, okay? I love to lose my phone. I think it's a good thing, you know? It's always seeming missing. But we lose our keys. We lose a lot of things, all right? We lose things that are necessary and important. We lose things that are valuable. Uh, there are other things. But I, I kind of thought about losing things this week. What are some things or what are some of the things that we lose? I, I came up with a couple of things. Number one, we lose things that we need, all right? Our car keys, for example. If you, if you don't have it, you're frustrated. There's, there's a whole process, go back over everywhere I've been, try to find it. 
you lose things, then another category would be losing things that of value, things that have significance, whether it's intrinsic or whether it's monetarily. If you lose those things, it's a different emotion than frustration. There's some element of, of, of pool of like, oh no, this is a huge mistake. Then I think there's a third category of losing things. And it's the things that you lose that you honestly, deeply are emotionally connected with, that it means something very significant, that you honestly feel like you can't live without it if it's gone. And losing things is very much the part of the human experience. Psychologists say that you actually feel emotionally three times worse when you lose something than when you gained that same thing, all right? Losing is not easy for us as people. So when Jesus goes through these three stories, something gets lost, and I have good news for you, and I'm sorry to let the cat out of the bag, but in each one of the stories, it gets found, all right? So that's really good news, all right? So, so the keys, you know, everything gets found. But I want us to dig a little bit deeply into this story and see it sort of as exactly what it is. It's a parable. It's a short story. It's an extended metaphor of sorts where Jesus is teaching a big time truth, but he uses a story to do it because that's the way that people connect a lot of times with big truth is to hear it in a story rather than all the facts thrown at you. So we get a very short story, but if we want to understand the story, we have to understand why he would tell the story to that specific group of people. And really inside of Luke 15, you see two people, two people groups really come out. The first is this, you see a group that Luke calls sinners and tax collectors, all right? This was not the, the, the really amazingly culturally loved group of people. In fact, it was the very bottom. Culturally and in their society, this was the group of people who honestly were pushed as far out to the outskirts of culture as humanly possible. This is the group of people that a lot of people absolutely despised and they hated, okay? And get this, and you can kind of understand it with the tax collector idea. Tax collectors in Rome, it, it kind of worked like this. Now, nobody loves taxes. Nobody, you know, the IRS, I mean, there's one thing true about humans, we've, we've always hated that process, right? And back then was no different. Just back then, a tax collector was essentially a traitor. The way that it worked is Rome had divided up regions and areas, sort of like a neighborhood. And what they would do is they would put that neighborhood up for bid. If you were interested in bidding for that, Rome put a price tag on it, and then essentially people, once they got an area, they were now the tax collector over that area. They would pay Rome the sum that Rome wanted for that area, and then it was up to the tax collector to go around and get taxes from his neighbors. Okay? And most of the taxes were based off of what that tax collector saw. So if that tax collector saw you were doing well, it's going to take more. And guess what? Anything over the top, that was their business, anything over the top was theirs. 
So you can imagine right away, here's a group of people that can't stand tax collectors. They can't stand them because they rip you off. They pay a group of people who are enslaving them. And at the same time, you're basically spying on your neighbors to figure out how much money you can get from them. You can automatically see this was not running, this wasn't a person running for class president, okay? This was a hated group of people, but they're following after Jesus. Now, I think it's so significant why they're following after him, all right? Because Jesus did something, and what the other group of people get mad about Jesus doing is this group of people Jesus was socializing with. Jesus was getting together with them. He was talking with them, and he was doing something culturally way out of bounds is he was eating with them, all right? And when you ate with somebody, it meant you associated with them, that you were part of, essentially, you were part with them. You had a relationship. The other group of people were furious about this. The second group of people that were following Jesus that he shares this parable, this extended metaphor with, was a group of people called the Pharisees and the scribes. These were the smart people. These were the moral people. These were the ones that had life going the way that it should. These were the people, if you had a problem, they would know the answer to. These were the people that were faithful. They were right. They had all the answers. They were like, if the sinners and the tax collectors were at the bottom, this is the upper group. So Jesus had collected two different groups together, and they're all following after him. And I believe this that both, group were look, both groups were looking for answers. Both groups were following Jesus to find out answers. One side, the sinners and the tax collectors, they're following because Jesus would associate with them. Remember, they're used to being outcasts and, and disregarded, and nobody would eat with them. And all of a sudden, this guy comes around, and he cares about them. He's compassionate to them. He goes and he sits and he eats with them when nobody would eat with them. And they're like, what is up with this rabbi? This one likes us. This one talks to us. This one explains things to us. This one's on it. This one loves us. He cares about us. The other group, the Pharisees and the scribes, they're following. I think they wanted a different answer. They had a different question. They wondered, number one, who is this guy? Why are so many people following him? And really, is this guy a threat to our power structure? Because he's doing things and he's saying things that we don't agree with. He goes and he eats with people that we would never eat with. And now he's acting and he's saying all of these things about him being God. So these two groups of people are who make up the crowd that's following him. And Jesus gives them both a story. And I say that the story is as relevant to them and relevant to us today in such a way. And it's a story that really has, it's so short, it's so easily kind of worked through that I think today you'll come out with something. And I believe as we go to communion, this will make even more of a connection with you. Because Jesus starts to describe what life, what relationship it is. And it was directed to both groups. And even though culturally they were so different, spiritually they were in the exact same place. Let's look at the parable really quickly again. He says this, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now we've got our two characters. We've got sheep. And we've got a shepherd. Now, clearly what he's saying here is there are sheep and the sheep are you. 
okay? The sheep is humanity. That's who it is. And the shepherd, he is weaving in an enormous amount of teaching from the Old Testament, from Isaiah, Ezekiel, Psalms, all the way back. I mean, there are around 500 references to sheep and shepherds in the Bible, right? It was something very well known culturally to both groups. They would have known this. But the sheep is humanity. And then you have the shepherd who is Jesus. Now, let's stop for a second. When we think of sheep, I think we think of something so pleasant and happy, you know, like sheep should be on your coffee mug, you know, it looks gentle and it's fluffy, a little bit cloudy, you know, I, I mean, they're just, they're, they're amazing. Let me tell you something. This is Jesus putting his finger in people's chest. This is not a compliment. This is not something good, okay? And I have a 26-second video that will prove that this is not good to you, all right? So if Emmanuel will, will put the video up, this is what we are compared to. love his reaction here. He puts the post up and he leaves. All right. Sheep is not something cool to be compared to. If you're going to compare me to an animal, there are other ones I would pick. All right. Dogs are cool. They're my favorite. You know, I, a tiger, maybe a lion. I mean, if it, if it has to be less aggressive, like duck-billed platypuses are really cool. All right. Not sheep. But we get compared to a sheep. Now, Let's think about what he's saying here. Is that sheep can't, they have no defense mechanisms. Sheep don't, aren't feared animals. Sheep honestly constantly have to be managed. They have to be cared for because every single chance they get, they wander. They leave. They go away. And as soon as I think of that wandering idea, it is like my life as, as really an example. It's, it's the struggle with going astray which takes us back to the book of Isaiah. This is something about us as people. It says, each one of them has gone astray, and each one of them has gone unto their own way like sheep. And the comparison comes out, and it really made sense to a culture that was so familiar. They knew that sheep didn't do anything really on their own except eat. And a sheep that would be lost had another name, and it was lunch, all right? They had no way to take care of themselves. They would wander, and they would go, and they would move out, and they had to be cared for. And so when Jesus says that one of those sheep was lost, you saw right then and there, they would have known what a desperate situation this was for that animal. And then you see the hero there you see the rescuer come up, and there's the shepherd. And the shepherd goes out and takes on himself an incredible risk, an incredible like, amount of stress, and heads out on a rescue mission. There's an amazing picture that is done by an art artist named James Tussaud in the 1800s, and he caught this image of a shepherd doing everything he could to save a sheep. All right, and if you look at the picture well, and I'm sorry it's not a little bit bigger, but it shows a shepherd, and he's actually going down an incredibly uh, a precipice of sorts. It's rocky, it's dangerous, it's sharp, there are crags everywhere. And he's going down, he's got that sheep on his back, and he's navigating through the danger. 
And you get a beautiful picture that comes out of this. That there is a sheep that is lost and a shepherd willing to go to any length to rescue this animal who cannot protect and cannot do anything for itself. See, in our story, the sheep only does one thing. The sheep only does one singular thing, and that's get lost. The shepherd is the one that goes out and risks everything to find that lost sheep. Now, what I would assert to you today is when Jesus was telling the parable, this is what he was saying to them. What he was saying is both groups spiritually were in the ditch. If you think back to the video, you think of the ditch and you saw the, the guy get in there and try to help out that sheep and get him out. And the sheep does what a sheep does and runs back in. Okay? Here, both groups are in the ditch. And there's one group of people that are the sinners and tax collectors. And I don't think you had to make it any clear they knew that they were lost. They knew it. They had seen it. They had experienced their own decisions. And society had reminded them of their decisions and pushed them out. They were the ones that were on the complete outside. They were the people whose lives weren't together, hadn't been together. Maybe they came from the wrong family. Maybe they didn't come from the right place. Maybe they had made terrible choices in their life. And here they're following after Jesus. And Jesus cares about them. He's compassionate to them. He loves them. And this is a message to the lost that would say this, I'm lost and I realize I can't fix it. I've tried. I've tried to be moral. I've tried to be good. I've tried to get it all together. All right? I've tried to make sure that things, but the struggle progressed. The struggle left them in a sense where they knew and could relate to the wandering sheep. The one who goes astray, and you know what? Just keeps its head down and keeps moving away from safety. They knew that. But the religious leaders and the people who thought they were righteous and the people who thought they had it all together and were other people's judge and created more and more rules that really they were the protectors of and they were the enforcers of that, those same laws, they were in the ditch too. See, the whole point of the message is humanity is lost. There is a big problem, and that problem is the sin and brokenness of our world that's in each one of our hearts. And it, while it's not a compliment, it's like almost a spiritual insult of sorts to be called a sheep, it's what we are. It's what Jesus says we are. And he says, you've gone astray, you've left, but that's not the end of the story. The shepherd goes out, and I think from the story you see something so beautiful come out of this. See, the shepherd goes out, takes on the risk, takes it upon himself to go out, and he's seeking the lost one. And I think sometimes it is a gift to know that you're lost. It is a gift to not believe that you're so good that God will accept you. Because ultimately, if you're guilty of one sin, you're guilty of them all according to God's word. And here we have a picture, a reminder that our sin has separated us from God and we could not get back. Just like that sheep could not find his way back to safety, you're not going to find it on your own, no matter how hard you try. And I think in our world, and just like the ancient world in a way too, we think if we just do enough good, if we're, if we're just good enough, if our, if our good works outweigh our bad works, then God's going to accept us. 
And what Jesus is saying here is that is not true. That is not true. What you need is you need divine intervention for there to be a rescue. It doesn't happen out of your own will of trying to make yourself better. Because look, the sheep does nothing but get lost. The sheep participates in, does not participate in any way in its rescue. The sheep has to be rescued by the shepherd. So the shepherd takes an incredible risk upon himself. And he goes out and he finds that sheep. But I want you to see the end of this little story. I think he does something very interesting. It says this. He doesn't, leave the, he, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. See, there's something very significant here about the gospel, all right? And I want you to realize Jesus is foreshadowing what is coming, okay? And when he puts that sheep on his shoulders and he wraps it around him, Okay, what he's saying is he literally takes the burden of the weight of that sheep upon himself. The sheep doesn't, doesn't participate in the rescue mission, all right? The sheep is not like a dog who will follow you home or, or whatever. It, it, it doesn't participate. It has to be carried. It has no work that it is, is, is contributing to this whole process. He takes that upon his shoulders as to show that something was coming. Because when Jesus goes to the cross, he takes the full burden and weight of our choices, our sin, our brokenness, and the brokenness of this world. He takes it upon himself there at the cross. Literally, the shepherd bears the entire weight of this animal, and he takes it back. Now, you know what? That is sometimes very hard for us to believe. We want to believe that we have a part in it. We want to believe that it's somehow our will or our desire or, or, or our effort that, that, that somehow helps the shepherd out. And what Jesus is saying here to the tax collectors, to the sinners, to the scribes, and to the Pharisees is, you know what? You don't do anything. That's why I came. I came to go to the cross to bear the full weight of what you couldn't do, I can do, because I'm fully God and fully man, and he takes it all the way to the cross. And death did not stop him, but the resurrection brought us life. See, I want us to see out of this is that there's a beautiful relationship that starts to come out that you really start to see. And it is a benefit and a gift to say, listen, I can't do it. I can't moral, make myself good enough to be accepted by God. It has to be through God's grace. It is the only method. See, if I was with the 99 sheep, I think I would stay with them and say, that one deserved it, all right? You know, like uh, good memories, good thoughts, but I got to take care of the 99, all right? You see Jesus pursuing, pursuing after that sheep. Do you know what he's saying is he pursues after you? Do you realize he pursues after you? He cares about you. You are his creation. And he will go to the nth degree to go and to get and to rescue you as a person. See, I want us to see today out of this passage, we are the lost sheep. We are those ones. And the benefit, I think, of knowing that you're lost is that you can't do it yourself. You know, you've tried to reform yourself. You've tried to do all those things. You put so much effort, you put so much effort, 
and you realize they're just as hollow as most of our New Year's resolutions. They just don't happen, all right? It's because it, it's not something we do. It is the gift of Jesus Christ on the cross that that's what provides God's grace for us. And I was so moved by this that God, they, I live by your grace, not out of my own effort and my own works, because I've already proven those don't work out well. But I need to rely and trust on you. But I want you to see this, this last little bit of this parable. I think it's the most like stunning part of it to me and in a place that's absolutely stunning of a story. It's his reaction. It's the shepherd's reaction to this. He says this, and when he finds it, he joyfully, keyword, joyful is used three times in just a short amount of time. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Look at the reaction of the shepherd. I think if I found the sheep, I'd be ticked off at the sheep. Bad sheep. You're, you know, like this is a, you, you're, oh, if you ever do this again, you know, like, I think I'd be furious at it. But Jesus has joy over the rescue of happiness over you. There's joy. He rejoices when we realize our lost condition and have the freedom to repent. He has joy over that. And I thought the funny video, I love that the shepherd, or whoever that guy is, all right, uh, he got immortalized a bit, is like a viral video. He just like, oh, stupid thing, jumps back in. You know how many times we jump back into the ditch? How many times we do that? And how many times does your heavenly father forgive and bring you out and call you his? All right? And I find that this is, and it's a way, it's like pulling back the curtain a little bit on heaven. If you want to know what makes God happy, if you want to know who, when God has absolute joy, it tells you right here what he has joy over. Jesus tells the two groups of people, this is what God loves. It says this, I tell you the same way, there will be more rejoicing, more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And you kind of notice there a little bit of sarcasm because people that don't need to repent, they're in the ditch. They don't realize they're in the ditch. See, it takes knowing that you're lost, that you have a need, and knowing the answer to the need. Right? And I think those sinners, there were so many of them there that were like, this is the guy. This is the guy with the answer. This is the one that cares about me. This is the one that loves me. They didn't yet know what he was going to do, but we find out in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says this. He, meaning Jesus, and this is his mission statement, he came to seek and to save the lost. See, the shepherd's job isn't done when he seeks and he finds him, finds that lamb. His job is done when he saves that lamb. And that's what Jesus came to do. And I want to encourage you with this, this today. I think it changes the way we view ourselves in a lot of ways. You know what? We have freedom with God. We have freedom to admit that we are wrong, that we need to repent. We have that freedom. We are the lost sheep, and he's tracked us. And he's pursued us. And he has loved us in spite of ourselves. And he has gone so far for the rescue. Gave his life on the cross. 
but I also think it changes the way that we view other people. In our culture, in our society, who are the people we've, we've put out on the edges? Who are the people that we've pushed out? Like, we should be valuing, just as God has valued us, anyone, and that's every person that is in God's image. We should treat people differently. We should treat people the way that God treats us, all right? And be that same kind of light and encouragement of God's grace in other people's lives. And I just want to finish with this one story. When Luke was little, my youngest, all right, I think he's probably here today. I did mention that I'm saying this story. Is he, I, I don't know if he is or not. But, um, but Luke, when he was little, we had gone to a party on Key Biscayne, and it was a birthday party. And we were, my wife and I are talking, and I remember he was right smack in front of me. And I turned, talked to somebody, and turned back, and he was gone. Right? And Merle was right next to me. It was honestly, I have to say, I've had a few bad days in my life. It's up in that top couple of three, okay? We couldn't find him anywhere. Now, one side, you got the ocean, all right? He's two and a half, three. We have a picture around that time that uh, Emmanuel put up of Luke. Um, we couldn't find him. So it was like, I know he doesn't know how to swim, and then I got the whole beach and everything else this way, and it was terrifying. Well, what had happened was, and he's still a very, very fast kid. Um, he's a runner, and he had, he had taken off. And it had rained earlier that day, and there were golf carts here at this, uh, the beach club that were set up. And Luke had gotten into the back of one of those, and because it had been raining, they had that rain shield down uh, that they put over golf clubs when it rains. And Luke got in there, and the people took off, all right? And, and needless to say, my wife went, and I were absolutely beside ourselves. I mean, everybody on the beach that day knew that a child was lost. It was horrible, absolutely horrible. I still remember it. I told my wife I was saying the story because I know she has PTSD from it, and I mean that legitimately. It was that bad. Um, thankfully, after everything, he was back. But I will never forget one part of that story, which is when my wife saw him, there was a grip on that little boy that I, nobody could have opened those arms. She was so thankful. She was so happy. She, what was lost was found. And the euphoria, the, all of the different emotions were on display. But the reaction was not, where did you go? I can't stand you. I, what, uh, you know, all of those things. I, I kind of felt that way, to be honest. <laughs> but she didn't, all right? She's a better person than I am. Um, but the feeling was, in that moment, he was back. She had him. She had him. And the joy, the joy of that little boy, even to this day, I still remember it. I still remember it. He was gone for a while. It was, it was enough to, you know, like, it grazed some hairs early, you know? And I want you to stop for just a think, for just a second. The pursuit, the loss, all of those things in that moment, her reaction was joy. Joy to be reconnected. Joy to be back. You're in your place. And do you realize that your heavenly father, your heavenly father, the creator of the world, has joy and heaven parties. Heaven celebrates. Heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. Today, as you come forward to this meal in just a few moments, I ask that you think about what the meal means. This is like a meal for the found of sorts. This is a reminder of what Jesus did for you on the cross. 
that he gave his life for you. That was the shepherd's cost, all right? Literally gave his life. His blood was shed. The Bible tells us there's no remission of sins. There's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. He goes all the way and he finds you and he pulls you back and he rescues you. And it's his grace that brings salvation. Thank God for repentance. And today as you come to this, I hope you feel absolutely loved, that you feel like the celebration, that you, you feel the rejoicing that heaven experienced the day that you became a believer. Also realize this, that the meal is a means of God's grace in our lives that I think propels us forward to be people that share and love and care for other people, just as Jesus did to the sinners and the tax collectors and the Pharisees and the scribes, every single one of them that was in the ditch, every one of them that was, that was struggling and broken, some could see it, some couldn't. But I would say this, and the beauty of who we are and the who God made us to be, may today you connect even deeper with what it means to be a son or daughter of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we're grateful for you. Lord, thank you for a time to be together. We ask that today, as we take of this meal, that we be encouraged as a group of people, that you work in each one of our hearts. Lord, thank you for this beautiful story that we share today, that we think about a lost sheep. Father, we're lost without you. But Lord, you did the incredible work, the transformational work, the rescue work of bringing us to yourself. Lord, bless us during this time, and we ask it in your son's name. Amen. Just as much as this